Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. In 1977, a deep-sea submersible was making a routine dive off the coast of the Galapagos Islands. As it sank down below the ocean's surface, the last shades of dark blue finally faded into the nocturnal black of the abyss. No longer guided by sight, the team of marine geologists had to rely on their other senses. They soon heard a deep, ambient rumble. Following the noise, they came upon a chain of hydrothermal vents, underwater chimneys that expel vast plumes of thick volcanic gas. Switching on their lights, the crew of the DSV Alvin discovered the environment was teeming with strange creatures that thrived without the need for sunlight. From elongated tube worms and eyeless shrimp to heat-resistant bacteria known as extremophiles, Despite these inhospitable conditions, life finds a way. In fact, scientists now believe that life on Earth first began here, on hydrothermal vents three and a half billion years ago. And if this is true on Earth, what about other planets? What if there are civilizations out there like ours? What if they know about us already? This is the voice of Prima. In the same year as this deep sea voyage, a southern television broadcast was overridden by a strange voice. The being, known as Vrilon, claimed to be from outer space and had been observing humanity for thousands of years. Perhaps alien life had finally made first contact. I'm Tommy Trelawney. This is The Interruption, a podcast from Stack. Episode 2, The Father, The Son, and The Flying Saucer. I've started my investigation into a mysterious event from 1977, 
when a cosmic voice appeared on British television. In the last episode, we explored the incident itself, what it was like to witness firsthand, how the general public responded to it, and how no one was caught. The trail went cold. It's been that way for 45 years. As the interruption was over the airwaves, we don't have any physical evidence left behind. But we do have one thing, the message. You see, at the time, no one really listened to what the alien had to say. It was simply shrugged off. But I think this was a mistake. I think that the contents of the message contains clues as to who was behind it. Now, I won't play out the message in full, as it goes on for over six minutes. Here's a short version with all the important bits, a bite-sized broadcast, if you will. Before we get going, the voice is a little hard to make out. It's been heavily distorted, and there's this crackly background sound too. It's a television hijack. What did you expect? Okay, roll the tape. This is the voice of Kumar, representative of the Ashtar Galactic Kumar, speaking to you. For many years, you have seen us as lights in the stars. We speak to you now to say this thing as we have done to your brothers and sisters all over this, your planet Earth. This is how the message opens. The alien introduces themselves as Vrilon, representing the Ashtar Galactic Command. The messenger has an important announcement for the viewers of Southern Television. We come to warn you of the destiny of your race and your world so that you may communicate to your fellow beings the course you must take to avoid the disaster which threatens your world and the beings on other worlds around you. This is in order that you may share and great awakening as the planet passes into the new age of Aquarius. Despite the ominous voice, the message is one of peace. There's no hint of invasion or anything like that. But, crucially, there's a warning. Humanity is in danger. Whatever this unspecified disaster is, it's man-made. We are to blame. If left to our own devices, we humans not only threaten ourselves, but our neighbours on other planets too. Luckily, Vrilon is here to make sure that doesn't happen. Be still now, and for your chance may not come again. All your weapons of evil must be removed. You have but a short time to learn to live together in peace and goodwill. This is a key piece of the message. Rilon tells us to abandon all weapons of evil. Chances are, he's referring to nuclear weapons. Humanity's most destructive creation. Perhaps the disaster Vrilon mentioned earlier has to do with nuclear annihilation. Vrilon's request for world peace is time sensitive. He needs us to get our affairs in order before the Age of Aquarius. A time of great awakening and spiritual evolution. So if we can pull our act together before this undetermined point, that'll be great. Be aware also that there are many false habits and guides at present operating on your world. They will suck your energy from you, the energy you call money, and will put it to evil ends, giving you worthless loss in return. As with any spiritual journey, there are traps to avoid. We need to watch out for 
false prophets, who will take away our money and use it for evil. In return, all we get is worthless dross. Dross is a funny word choice, I haven't heard it before. Hey Siri, define dross. Dross means something regarded as worthless rubbish. Do you want to hear the remaining one? I'm fine, thanks. Glad that's sorted. Okay, moving on. With a quick blessing of peace and love, Rilon concludes their transmission. Shortly after, the television signal returns to normal. Strange, right? How does any of this help identify who was behind it? As weird as this message is, which it is, it contains certain phrases that are little signatures as to who it might be. Phrases like Ashtar Galactic Command have not been plucked at random. They can be pinned to a group of spiritual movements that sprung up from the 1950s onwards, a collection of faiths known as UFO religions. As the name suggests, UFO religions are about a belief in aliens. But they take this belief to the next level. Extraterrestrials don't only exist, but they've been guiding our species for millennia. They look at traditional religions, say Christianity, as an example of alien contact. To some groups, Jesus was actually a spaceman in disguise, and the Star of Bethlehem, the UFO that dropped him off. You may have heard of one of them before, Scientology. That's a UFO religion. They believe that human beings contain discarded alien souls from an intergalactic genocide. It's a long story. Having studied religion at university, I've been familiar with these UFO religions for a while. And if I'm quite honest, it's what drew me to investigate the interruption. I immediately recognised those quasi-religious phrases like Age of Aquarius and Ashtar Command. My area of expertise is Old Testament and Biblical Hebrew, which is a little more ancient than these beliefs. Or maybe not. I suppose it depends who you ask. Either way, this area is a lively topic of study. Papers and papers have been written about these UFO groups. Well, I'm a professor of history of religion also known as comparative religion. And that's important because comparing is what it's all about. In order to understand religious phenomena, you need to know quite a lot of them. To learn more, I got in contact with an academic, Professor Michael Rothstein from the University of Southern Denmark. The moment he joined the video call, I knew I had the right person. He was sitting in a crowded office, surrounded by old UFO textbooks. If anyone could help me, it was Michael. And I started out uh, as a young scholar back in 1989, after my graduation, by studying new religious movements. I used them as a laboratory in order to understand the religion phenomenon, as, as it were, because you see religion in the making when you approach new religious movements. This is where myths are coming about, rituals are designed, sacred texts are being written, prophets are stepping forward and so on and so forth. At some point, I, I uh, started to study UFO religions because th this was a kind of a new thing. And you could, you could see new features that, that showed to what extent religions would align with what was going on in society in general. For a researcher like Michael, UFO religions are like a laboratory. Being a pretty recent phenomenon, they reveal how faith movements get started and spread. But it's not just the new religions that Michael's into. For quite a number of years, I've been specialising in the study of, uh, of religion among uh, nomadic hunters and gatherers in rainforest environments. 
and uh, been on I don't know how many field trips into the rainforests of Borneo or Brazil and things like that. That's my main occupation right now, actually. I'm uh, also studying religion in the Stone Age in like 40,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, trying to reconstruct what happened in those days. Religion is always about making sense of the world. So religions uh, provide explanation, provide uh, norms and ways uh, that you're supposed to act. It enters politics or uh, economics or uh, uh, music or the arts or pornography or food or what have you. You'll find religion as an element in all those these phenomena simply because it is a part of being human. As much as I wanted to ask Michael about his work on indigenous or Stone Age religions, I was here to talk about aliens. Sounds weird saying that out loud. These UFO religions, how did they come about? Because I understand they're quite recent. Well, uh, it's very true that they that they are recent. And there's a reason why they are recent. The notion of UFOs, the very idea, didn't really come up until the late 1940s and didn't spawn until five, six or seven years later. And the reason is quite simple. If a UFO is considered a spaceship, somebody had to imagine a spaceship before you could imagine a religious linked spaceship somehow. So it's not very strange that people sort of furnished their religious imagination with elements that were relevant to their lives here and now, which is why uh, a flying saucer religion would never apply in the rainforests of Borneo, where, where I work a lot, because we are so different from people in the rainforest. So we have to understand that, that religious concepts are cultural specific and should be understood in that context. Michael touches on a really interesting point here. All religions are a product of their culture. They reflect the values and beliefs of the society they came from, whether that be 1st century Judea or 20th century America, where the UFO religions began to emerge. In the summer of 1947, there was a sharp spike in reports of unidentified flying objects, or UFOs for short. But the most famous sighting was from a pilot called Kenneth Arnold, who was trying to find the right words to describe the unidentified aircraft he'd seen hovering over Mount Rainier. He came up with flying saucer. The name kind of stuck. Nowadays, the official term is UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, but I'm gonna stick with UFO. Remember, UFOs doesn't necessarily mean aliens, but to the public, it did. In the years that followed, reports of alien sightings grew exponentially. Soon came the accounts of abduction and probing. It wasn't long until people claimed to be communicating with them on a regular basis. One of the first of these contactees was a man called George Van Tassel. In 1953, he claimed to be speaking with an alien called Ashtar and his galactic command. Sound familiar? Even in 1977, Vrillon is using phrases borrowed from long-since-disbanded UFO religions. Vrillon's other phrase, Age of Aquarius, is rooted in these groups too. Since the 60s, it was commonly used among hippies, New Age and UFO movements. It's a bit of a loose concept, but usually refers to the time of great spiritual awakening here on Earth. 
When that is, however, it's not quite certain. But Vrillon seems to think it's coming soon. So the UFO religions, they emerged on the scene just as the Second World War had come to an end and the world was preoccupied with new technologies. And not least, not least, the fear of what would happen now as technology sort of got out of hands and became this crazy race among the, the nuclear the possessing nations. So it was cold warfare that led to UFO notions, I'm certain. The post-war era saw rapid improvements in aviation. Space travel was a possibility. New technology had led to a golden age of sci-fi. It was fertile soil for UFO mania, as it was called. All this sparked new avenues of spiritual imagination too, like the UFO religion. But there was another emerging technology that these new movements began to fixate on. An innovation that gave them something to fear. The atomic bomb. You are the target of those who would trample the liberties of free men. You are in the crosshairs of the bomb site. An enemy is centering on you. With the nuclear devastation of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, humanity became capable of destruction on a global scale. At first, the secret of this new bomb was only known by the United States. But the rival superpower, the Soviet Union, developed its own weapons. They had now entered an arms race. The Cold War tensions had received an atomic injection. Should things go south, it was mutually assured destruction. Mad, for short. We all know the atomic bomb is very dangerous. The fear of nuclear weapons was very real. That's why these children are practicing to duck and cover, just as you do in your school. And combined with the UFO interest at the time, this cultural fusion led to films like 1952's The Day the Earth Stood Still. You will forgive me if I speak bluntly. Where a humanoid alien, Klaatu, visits Earth to deliver an ultimatum. Abandon nuclear weapons or face the consequences. It is no concern of ours how you run your own planet. But if you threaten to extend your violence, this earth of yours will be reduced to a burned-out cinder. Perhaps this film influenced the UFO religions too. Many groups had the same beliefs, that aliens are unhappy about the weaponry the Earthlings had developed. It was up to them to prevent nuclear annihilation, using chosen humans as their prophets. Earth, as you call it, faces a certain situation. The situation can be described as a rather a dangerous one. You are liable to upset the balance of your Earth through number one, atomic experimentation, and number two, your deviation from the spiritual laws. That's George King, founder of the Aetherius Society, speaking in 1959. We'll come back to him in a future episode. But does he remind you of someone else? In 1977, a certain representative of the Ashtar Command had a similar message for the viewers of Southern Television. All your weapons of evil must be removed. You have but a short time to learn to live together in peace and goodwill. 
these alien messages seem like a bizarre attempt at de-escalating the very real threat of nuclear warfare. They do. All of them. Definitely. It was originally the main reason why they originated. Cold War fears that the Americans and the Russians would somehow clash and it would be the end of everything. Apparently, humans couldn't negotiate the peace amongst themselves. So why not imagine this third party that would dissent and clear up things? This is what, well, angels do or Jesus does or gods when they descend. So, so it's it's just, it's a modulation of an old way of hoping for something better than we're able to come up with ourselves. Yes, it's certainly like having someone from a bird's eye view or maybe a saucer's eye view looking down at the world and diagnosing the problems from an outsider's perspective. True. There was one more thing to it, really, because uh, usually the Space Brothers of the 1950s would say, it's not only to save you, children of Earth. Actually, if the balance on Earth is interrupted or destroyed even, it will affect us living on the other planets because the whole cosmos is in balance. So you're also endangering us by destructing yourselves. On July 16, 1945, the first atomic bomb was detonated in the deserts of New Mexico. First came the searing flash, which subsided to reveal a gigantic mushroom cloud. To onlookers, there was a serene silence. The sound of the blast had not yet reached them. Witnessing this firsthand was J. Robert Oppenheimer, the bomb's chief architect. In an interview many years later, he summarised the event in one immortal line. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Oppenheimer spent the remainder of his life ashamed of what he helped create. In describing how he felt, he quotes from one of the world's oldest religious poems. Within that ancient verse, there's a curious detail that reminds me of the interruption. Worlds is in the plural. Atomic experimentation doesn't just threaten our planet, but other planets too. So had you heard of the Southern Television Interruption before I introduced it to you? Yes, I had. It's a classic in ufology. Has this ever come up in your academic circles? Oh, yes. I've talked to colleagues about it. I'm not sure that things have been written extensively about it, but it's uh, certainly a thing that you would talk about because, well, it's funny that somebody intervened in that way from a simple kind of practical joke perspective. Uh, But I think it was way more than that. Uh, As far as I know, it was never uh, revealed who actually did it. But those who did it, I would imagine did it with some kind of sincere intention of making people consider this. The interruption itself might not have been alien in origin, probably more so terrestrial rather than extraterrestrial. Why do you think this person did it or or people? I think this was done in order to inspire people. I think that the people who did it, did it in order to show people what the Space Brothers would say had they taken the opportunity to intervene at that point in the program. I think people have had an urge for the Space Brothers to do it, but it didn't happen. So why not do it themselves 
to show what was potentially possible. You could say that this is fraud, of course. Of course, it is in a way. But I would rather interpret it as a genuine attempt to reveal important religious messages to people. A lot of people said at the time it was a prank. I don't necessarily feel so. I think it's a hoax, but not a prank. I think that it's a very sincere yeah, exactly. message. I would say I would uh, say the same. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Michael seems to think what I've been thinking, that the message was not a prank. It's far too sincere to be a joke. Whoever did this must have had a good reason. But what that reason is, we don't know yet. We've spoken about why this person or people might have done it. Do you have an inclination of who? Well, it's pure speculation. I have no sources communicated with nobody about this. But my feeling would be, my theory would be, as a point of departure at least, that this is done by somebody who themselves deeply believe in the Ashtar command as a reality and want to pass it on to other people. And they've developed uh, this strategy of, of how to do it. And if they had to hook up with somebody with electronical skills, I don't know if it, or if they have them themselves, but I think it's an attempt to distribute an idea, a notion that is credible and trustworthy. And they probably said to themselves, well, this is a hoax because it's not true. We are doing it. But what we are doing is absolutely in accordance with what Ashtar would like us to to say to the world and what he has said on numerous occasions themselves. It's a case of strangely um, constructed uh, missionary work. That's my inclination. Yeah. And the only people that would have heard the missionary work would have been around that transmitter in True. the small village of Huntington. True. <laughs> but it, it's, it's better than standing by the grocer and handing out little notes, isn't it? The message is deeply rooted in UFO religions and New Age spirituality. It's very carefully worded and well-written. I'm thinking that whoever was behind this was most likely a member of one of these groups. When the interruption happened back in 1977, nobody seems to have picked up on this detail, that the language of the message has a spiritual flavour. Well, except for one man, a gentleman by the name of Sir John Whitmore, who appeared on LBC Radio in the weeks following the incident. One thing that struck me was that there was in fact nothing threatening whatsoever on the tape. And I was aware that most of the newspaper reports said it was a threatening and uh, frightening and so on and so forth. And I just want to point out that that's sort of a projection of the fears onto the material itself rather than the reality. The people who did it would have had to have had a considerable knowledge of esotericism and the beliefs and so on of this field. And in the Sunday Times it said, well, they switched from a political uh, plan to do some sort of political broadcast to this. Um, and it doesn't look like a switch at all to me. This looks like something that was very knowledgeable. And I personally believe that there's a lot more to it than was published in the Times. Unlike anyone else at that time, John identified that the message was extremely sophisticated, full of quasi-religious language. He noticed something that others hadn't. Can I make one thing clear? Are you saying, in fact, uh, that the broadcast was not a hoax, certainly? No, I'm not. I think that there were um, human beings involved in doing this, and I think that the interest in this is not so much what and how, 
but when and why people do do things that are sometimes inspired from outside. As John did 45 years ago, I think the key question to ask is why? Figure out the motive and it can lead you to a suspect. Remember John, we'll come back to him later on. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's talk about the C word. Cults, that is. If we are dealing with these unique religious sects, we need to find the right words to describe them. So I got in contact with another world-leading expert, Dr. Susan Palmer, affiliate professor and lecturer at Concordia University, Montreal. Ah, hello. Hello, is this Tommy? Yes, this is Tommy. Hi, um, is this Susan? I, this is Susan Palmer. Um, did you just call me? Someone just called oh, me. Oh, yes. She's an authority on UFO religions, especially one called realism. Under the guidance of their charismatic leader, who calls himself Rael, they believe that God was an astronaut who cloned the first people, Adam and Eve. To them, human civilization is one big petri dish. With a lot of these new religious movements, and especially in the UFO sphere, the word cult is banded around quite a lot. Could you clear that up for me? When is the term cult appropriate, if ever? And when is new religious movement? Well, it used to be appropriate before 1970 because it was just a term meaning um, a form of worship around, you know, a, a person or an idea. You know, it just a, a, a group that worshipped an idea or a person, right? And then after that, it started to be used by the 
media, meaning a fake religion whose leader was, you know, tried to exploit people or was crazy or something or was a psychopath. And that people people joined because they were brainwashed, so they didn't choose to join. And that became very popular with the anti-cult movement, so the journalists have run with that word ever since. So naturally, the groups don't like to be called cults. And scholars, academics don't use the word cults, except they sometimes use it to sell their books or, you know, because it sells books. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a buzzword. Um, or, in, you know, I teach a course. I taught, I taught a course on cults for years, 20 years. But then I use the word cult. But um, then I tell the students, don't use the word cult, you know. Mm. Um, so it's, it's never, today it's never appropriate, unless you're a journalist, you know, trying to attack a group and to get, you know, you know, to sell your, your story. Um, but it's, uh, it's become like a four-letter word. If you're going to trash cults, you might as well trash all the world religions, you know, if you want to be a militant atheist. But <laughs> I think that's pretty Over her years of studying the Raelians, Susan has built up a friendship with the church. But even close friends fall out every now and then. Twice they blacklisted me and said I could never come to any of the meetings ever again and and that when the UFO descended, I would not be invited aboard. Susan told me of how a journalist once misquoted her and used the word cult in their description. The Raelian church was furious and cut off all ties with her research. Eventually, the statement got retracted and the Raelians welcomed Susan back with open arms. So the Raelians were thrilled and they invited me back and Rael gave me a big hug. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's good. You're, you're back on the UFO now, so everything's good. Yes, thank goodness. When it arrives, 2030, I'll be able to. Oh, is it? it is it going to be 2030? Is that the date? Yeah, they changed. No, 2035. They they postponed the date, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, okay. they keep doing that. Well, they've only done it once, but they might do it again. You never know. What? How, how can I make sure that I'm, uh, you know, suitable for the UFO? What what sort of things can I do? You have to write nice things about them. Thing is, I just wrote, I didn't write nice things, I wrote sociological things. You know, I just try to do sociology, but at least it didn't, I didn't attack them. And I sort of said that Ryle was intelligent and entertaining and stuff. So they like, they like me. I am aware that these UFO beliefs are a little zany, but it's important to remember that mainstream religions have their quirks too. Just take the Old Testament's book of Ezekiel which describes a wondrous vision of God's throne. It's surrounded by these strange, otherworldly beings. One of them, a set of bright interlocking wheels covered with glowing eyes. Some believe, incidentally, that the Hebrew prophet is describing an alien craft. Don't believe me? Have a look for yourself. It's Ezekiel 1.16. UFO religions admittedly enter the realm of sci-fi. That said, at least they have some sort of scientific basis. It begins with the reasonable assumption that life exists beyond Earth. Given the unfathomable size of the universe and the countless galaxies within it, it would be highly unlikely, statistically speaking, that we humans are totally alone. Life beyond Earth is one of those big questions that keeps me up at night. But some people make it their day job. Hey, fellow Earthians, Astromir here. One such person is Mia Frothingham, a TikToking scientist. Mir studies at the UK Centre of Astrobiology, an organisation that explores what alien life 
might look like. I think the main goal of of the center is to make our search for life easier. And so that is all it encompasses so many different things of of different fields of science. It's not only biology, but it's chemistry, it's physics. Um it's all different kinds of scientists coming together to work on this on this one mission to make our search for life easier. So yeah, I think it's mostly studying the life that is existing here on earth and sort of piecing together the missing pieces of evolution that we still don't know yet and sort of completing that whole mystery and then being able to translate that into how can we search for life elsewhere um, with the right parameters and that sort of thing. Since we can't study life on other planets yet, Looking at how life on Earth came about is the next best thing. At the start, I mentioned how the crew of the DSV Alvin found life in the most surprising of places, hydrothermal vents at the bottom of the ocean. If life could survive here, perhaps life elsewhere is more common than we think. I understand that Earth is very rare. The, the circumstances for, for life to evolve here had to have happened so perfectly from one event to another, um, which does make you think like, could we possibly be the only ones because of how incredibly perfect everything had to be for us to evolve. But then it's like, okay, but we're, the universe is huge. Like how couldn't it have happened again elsewhere? You know, I feel like the odds of that could be, you know, plausible because of just how immense the universe is. But who knows? I mean, we'll probably never if, be able to communicate with them because of how big the universe is and keeps expanding. So even if we try to make contact, you know, it'll probably be forever to to be able to do that. But life is out there. It's just a matter of where it is and if we'll be able to ever find it, which I'm hoping we will. The quest to find life beyond Earth is ongoing, and I wish Mia the best of luck in her search. Maybe one day, 10, 100, a thousand years from now, we will finally cross paths with an alien civilization. It could be a great thing for our species. A time of great spiritual awakening, advancement, and galactic fellowship. But it could also be our doom. A brutal era of war and conquest, and mutually assured destruction. To many, we'll never make first contact. The universe is simply too big. Or maybe not. Hi, so am I speaking to Vrilon? Yes, you are. Great to see you. But that's next time on The Interruption. The Interruption is a stack production, written and presented by me, Tommy Trelawney. It was produced and co-written by Nikki Anderson. Sound design by Tom Wally. Executive production for Stack came from Luke Moore, Charlie Morgan and John Teague. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.